And HIV is a race-specific bioweapon. There has been global cooling for the last eight or nine years. And when you add up all those dates in the Bible and the six days of creation, you only get thousands of years. There's nothing in observational science that contradicts that. What? The genetic uh, engineers are responsible for punching puppies in the face. Sounds just absolutely crazy. It's completely out of control and you have tentacles and crap. <laughs> what? Well, I guess that I'm a Nazi. Hello heathens and welcome to a much belated episode of The Science of Sarcasm. This week we're going to be talking to Miles Power from the YouTube channel Power1985 about the topic of GMOs and what genes aren't. Hello Miles. Hi there, thanks for having me on the show. And no problem, Miles also does a podcast with previous guest James Gurney called The League of Nerds and for some reason they had me on. <laughs> it was pretty awesome having you on actually. It was pretty cool. We were talking about chiropractic weren't we? Yeah and we didn't even get sued afterwards. I know it's amazing bloody hell. I'm... Now there's obviously not going to be any questions and answers on this episode. Miles has already answered all of those in a recent video and so we're going to get straight to the news and nonsense section. First off we are going to go with some good news. This comes from ScienceDaily.com. Bacterial reporters that get the scoop. Engineered gut bacteria remembers what it saw. Uh, now this story is basically about a strain of E. coli bacteria which has been engineered to be a detection device. Yeah, it was really interesting. You sent me the uh, link to the article a couple of days ago, didn't you? I had a, I had a read of it. And it is really cool. Unfortunately, I'm stuck behind a paywall at the moment, so I wasn't able to actually look at the research that it came from. But it's kind of interesting that um, a lot of biologists and microbiologists and, uh, I guess, synthetic biologists, if they want to be called that, are looking into new ways of sensing certain things, and they're using bacteria to do that. And this is the first example, really, because it's not really my field, but it's the first example I've seen where people have actually tried to get it to do it inside a living being really humans to test out like certain gut conditions and stuff like that and i think that's really quite cool and quite interesting so sorry i interrupted you then do you want to continue oh no it's no problem the whole point of the show is to have you on it and to talk about these things i think basically for the sake of the listeners i'm going to link this in the show notes obviously but what they did was that they used one of the bacteria's natural predators which was a type of bacteriophage which usually goes into the bacteria infects it implants its dna into the bacteria's DNA and then this particular phage its DNA only becomes active when the bacteria enters a certain state mm -hmm. and so the researchers used that when they modified it slightly once the bacteria detected a predetermined factor within its environment the viral DNA in its DNA would activate and it would flick like a switch and so then when they tested the bacteria afterwards, they could see whether or not the viral switch had been activated. I'm really curious how they did this. I feel so underprepared the fact I couldn't get this paper. I mean, it's obviously some kind of Opron system going on here, but I wonder what they got it to express afterwards. Because they've also got it to switch on for about a week or two, haven't they? Which is really quite interesting. Because normally these things, as soon as they're taken out of the environment, they can switch back, well genetic wise anyway from well from what the limited research i've done this kind of stuff before so this was 
really quite cool. It's a different way of looking at it. But also, one thing I could see straight away from reading this was the whole anti-GMO crowd jumping on this. Because unlike other uh, GMO bacteria things out there, this one is very much designed to survive quite harsh environments. So I can see them this being a real problem for those guys. What do you think about that? I think they'll flip out over anything. And that's going to come <laughs> up in the nonsense section quite soon. I know one of the things that the researchers did here in order to prolong the lifespan of the bacteria. Now they were experimenting with mice in this case and the gut bacteria of mice. They had their stock E. coli. Anyone who works in genetics will know that E. coli is quite often used for many different reasons and so they had their stock of that but it wasn't lasting too long and it was being outcompeted in the mouse's gut. And so what they decided to do was they then extracted some of the native E. coli from the intestines of the mouse. They, re they put the viral switch into that strain of E. coli, re-implanted it, and then they found that it was actually able to compete with the other native strains. And so they got a much longer lifespan out of it after that. Oh, cool. Listen, I love the fact that like biologists are actually doing this kind of research at the moment because it is really cool it's not just uh you can also flip it the other way you can see it as a way of sensing certain environments and certain things but you can also see it as a way of controlling certain things uh so uh many of the biologists out there probably know about the lac operon and how that works that's just like a switch that basically um turns on genes downstream of it but you can also have different switches i guess and this would be an example of one where you can basically control bacteria to do certain things in certain environments and it's really fascinating from a synthetic uh, biologist point of view because you can then have i guess genetic machinery uh, in the future hopefully uh, that will be able to sense their environment and still produce high yields of stuff depending on their environment and that's really fascinating i think i think another aspect that people are looking at with regards to this technology is to use it as a diagnostic tool. So if you can imagine in the future you're giving a capsule which contains these bacteria, you swallow it, it passes down through your gut, gets embedded in the lining of the intestine and then with multiple strains you can be testing for multiple factors at the same time. Then afterwards once it's been given time to bloom and it comes out of you they can test the resulting samples for multiple factors and it might be helpful as a diagnostic aid but it's still quite early on well they've also got other stuff that's outside the body aren't they they're using bacteria to sense um dirty water and things in water aren't they which is really fascinating so the idea is uh you get a water sample uh, it has a little bit of bacteria at the bottom if it grows it means something or other i don't know it's i'm this i'm going off memory from a few years ago this but uh, i know that bacteria have been used to sense quite a lot of things in the past so it's only really the next step that they're going to be used basically inside people's body and wouldn't it be fascinating and amazing to have like one strain of bacteria that would have multiple things it could detect that wouldn't necessarily be detected through conventional methods and then for you to get your results at the end of it i think that's really quite interesting there's all like any technology some people will say oh well what if you use it for x y and z and it's like but no one's planning on using it for x y and z i mean and uh, i could probably come up with some pretty dastardly things to do with a lot of electromagnets but that doesn't mean we should stop using mris 
it's funny me and james are on our podcast and when we meet up we always talk about ways that we bring down society <laughs> like the true evil people we are and uh we thought about this and we think like gmos yeah you can kind of do it but like there's so many of the more inventful ways to do it <laughs> sounding a bit crazy here aren't i well what you could do is start a site called natural news Oh, God, those nutters. And that Jesus. brings us to the nonsense portion of today. Now, I will give you a choice. Do you want the bad news or the really bad news? Oh, God, you're spoiling me. Uh, I'll go with just the bad news for now. FDA considers approval of genetically modified babies. <laughs> what? Oh, God, you got to tell me more about this. Come on. The reasonable version of the story is that the FDA is meeting to discuss several experimental and potential procedures, including transferring the nucleus of one ovum into another ovum in cases of women who have mitochondrial diseases. And they've spun that into a story about genetically modified babies. I know, because no genes have been altered in the making of this baby. Yeah, that's not genetically modified. That's just... Uh, you've yeah, you've just swapped the the genes over. <laughs> like, yeah, it won't have the mother's mitochondrial DNA anymore. But that that's a good thing if she's got certain problems with it. Maybe this might be a good instance for you to explain the difference between nuclear DNA and mitochondrial DNA for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with the specifics of cell biology. Sure, yeah. The difference between the two. Well, mitochondria are basically the power plants of your cells. Uh, what's really interesting is they used to be their own unique little thing. We have a symbiotic relationship with them. Uh, basically, I, I, I don't really know the, the story behind it, but we kind of nommed them or they jumped in us. I, I don't really know. And basically now they work for us. Well, they're part of us. Um, but their DNA is very much separate from the DNA that's in the nucleus. So the nucleus is where we see chromosomes and things like that. And the mitochondria have their own thing, so they're very two separate things. So uh, I don't know. Where, I don't know how the story has spanned that into genetically modified babies. That's just absolutely crazy. I don't know, and it's like with these women wanting to have healthy babies without debilitating lifetime diseases. I mean. Well, the thing is, that's nothing new either, because you can already do genetic tests on pregnant women to see if there's any problems. So that's, that, again, there's nothing really new. We've been doing that for quite a while now. Basically, these natural news guys are just against any kind of GMOs, regardless of the outcome. I think they're straight into this slippery slope fallacy where if you allow scientists to alter or remedy or fix one tiny thing inside a cell then everything will magically be up for grabs and people will be t trying to turn themselves into spider-man characters like the lizard and oh, just yeah. shoving stuff in wherever the hell they want oh they, yeah they, they they really believe this and they believe even the slightest of changes in the genome will alter everything i mean i've seen documentaries like Seeds of Death and uh, oh, I can't remember the rest of them, where they actually say that if you alter a tiny bit of an organism's genome, the entire rest of it just buggers up and then that's it. You, it's completely out of control and you have tentacles and crap. <laughs> I know, and it's not that you just get the ability to script an extra protein. No, no, they, they, uh, they, they talk about methods that are incredibly old. They seem to think that 
we scientists don't have a clue what they're doing. They don't they seem to think that they don't check where these genes are for the for the random ones. Uh, <laughs> the, the weird thing is, though, um, when they talk about these kind of uh, processes where you can put a gene in, it'll just be inserted in the genome somewhere, and they don't really know. Uh, they complain, saying, oh, we don't know where it is, you don't know what damage it's going to do, that's fair enough. And then you say, okay, well, now we're going to do more of a synthetic biology approach where we're going to actually know exactly where this gene's going to go. I mean, we did anyway because we can sequence it, but now we're going to put it in here. Oh, you're playing with God again, you shouldn't be doing that. It's like, you can have one or the other. It, it's it's ridiculous. These people contradict themselves constantly, and they just... I've I found that the vast majority of them just don't have a clue what they're talking about. I mean, it, it's so evident in any of their documentaries and films that they make. It, it It's... They're almost like parodies of what you'd expect these films to be. Yeah, they, and they also talk about our previous methods of farming, such as artificial selection in our breeding stocks, as if they're somehow much better, but they actually, when done wrong, you see all these problems emerging. Like, just look at dog breeds, for example, with the amount of selection done and the amount of inbreeding that has taken place you suddenly have this plethora of genetic disorders appearing within the breed. Whereas with genetic modification done in a laboratory in a synthetic biology setting, you can just pick the single gene or group of genes and know exactly where you're putting them and you can actually weed out all of this stuff beforehand and it's a much, much more controlled thing. I think uh, as well, um, well, th that's only one part, I think, of why they're so terrified of this technology. <laughs> terrified it is the word, proper word to use, I think. I, uh, and that really, yeah, it comes from a lack of understanding. I mean, they don't understand that if you um, are breeding something, you are sele selecting certain genes that you want to be inherited to the next offspring. Um, and it just, yeah, it's just bizarre how they can look at something like a, a, a poodle or a, a pug god i hate pugs and be like oh that's totally fine but you know a crop that's resistant to monsanto's roundup my god that's that's heathens made this hey everyone i just want to take a quick minute to let you know about an event i took part in last month the event's name was madness mayhem and charity and it was raising funds for the international aids vaccine initiative it was a big success and has already raised over eight thousand dollars this year alone but donations are still being accepted for the next few days, and I have made some Science of Sarcasm podcast perks available. If you go over to the Events Indiegogo page, you can claim one of these perks, which include 10 advertising spots on the Science of Sarcasm podcast for your own podcast, blog, or YouTube channel, or you can join me on the show as a guest host interviewing your expert of choice. Once you claim the perk, I'll get in contact with you with a list of upcoming topics that I plan on covering and the names of the people I'm going to be discussing them with. You can pick out whichever one you like and join me for the hour. Now, there are other perks from other well-known YouTube users and the like over there, so just, if you're curious, take a look. You can claim some really cool stuff and you'll be helping end the AIDS-HIV pandemic. Thanks for listening and now we'll get back to the show. Okay, now it is time to move on to the worst news. We've had the good mm. news, we've had the bad news. Now this is the terrible news from Natural News. Are you ready I'm for ready this? For it. Yes, I'm ready. Bring it. GMOs could cause irreversible termination of life on Earth. Risk expert warns. What expert? What What expert says that? 
He That's ridiculous. He is not, of course, a biologist. <laughs> surprise, bloody surprise. <laughs> he is a risk expert. A He's what? actually quite well known. He's a statistician called Nassim Taleb. I mm-hmm. think that's the correct name. He is actually well known among statisticians and is a well-known essayist. But basically, there is this draft study he's come up with. And it's not actually a scientific study because it contains zero data. This paper that he's drafted has no actual data about GMOs themselves. Really? It's just a bunch of rhetorical exercises that he has come up with. So I'm curious, how does he think the world's going to end then with GMOs? Um, Basically, it's a chicken little approach. The paper is simply a series of responses he's come up with to people who call him on his anti-GMO stance. And he goes, oh, you're accusing me of the naturalistic fallacy. Well, here's why I'm not doing the naturalistic fallacy. You're accusing me of this, but now I'm accusing you of that. It's not a scientific paper, it's just a wine fest. <laughs> yeah, and this has actually made it on natural news. My god, they've reached all kinds of low. Dude, I saw a thing on natural news that said, we use CO2 in greenhouses so it can't be that bad. <laughs> Wait, hang on. What? Really? That Uh, is on there. I mean, yeah, the the people there just... I tell you what's odd about that website is the arrogance of the people on there who think that they know what they're talking about. Um, And I realise how arrogant that sounds saying that right now. But when you know basic stuff, you can just run circles around these people. I mean, I think Doctor, you can't tell what I'm doing, air quotes, is on that website. And so is... uh, uh, this crazy anti-HIV AIDS denialist bastard um, who's been following me around the internet, he's on there as well. These people are, you know, in the scientific community, they're a joke. Here is a bit of the story in question. Besides using math and risk-based analysis to show that GMOs simply cannot coexist with nature, as is commonly claimed, GMOs will eventually contaminate the natural world around them. Taleb also deconstructs many of the arguments used by GMO advocates to defend the commercial use of untested transgenic materials. I am not aware of any untested materials I was just going to say, yeah, like it's so strict because there is such a fear about this technology that basically it's tested to the eyeballs. That's just a flat out lie. And like I said, when I looked at his paper and I'm going to link to this article and this nonsense paper, he can't have used any math on it because he doesn't have any data in it. Yeah. You can't do math without numbers. This is all... And he makes such stupid arguments. Like, people point out to him, well, you know, we have in fact transferred entire species of plants beforehand and that was a, potentially a lot more harmful. Like, potatoes, for instance. We just lifted up these plants from the New World, brought them back, started planting them. And then we just went away with it. And that kind of activity is potentially far more harmful than simply changing one gene in one native species within a region that it already exists in. Uh, It depends on the gene. But yeah, I know what you mean. Definitely. Well, yeah, if you put in genes that that make it, like, just ooze poison (laughs) and, like, put it into the water table, then that's going to be bad. That goes without saying. Yeah. But if you, like, put in the BT toxin gene... It'll be fine for us, yeah. 
Mind you, it might not be fine for insects down the line and stuff. I mean, like, it's like everything. You've just got to be really careful. You've just got to know what you're doing, and you've got to make sure that at the beginning it's all nice and controlled until you've got it all set up and ready to go. And if everything's fine, then it's all fine. You don't have to make things up, you know, about the potential dangers of GMOs. I mean, there are some out there. I mean, I'm not just talking about in-lab stuff, which never makes it out into the wild, but I'm talking about there is the potential of contamination and stuff like that. But usually when that happens, it's as easy as using a different herbicide to kill it. It's as easy as just it will die on its own. You know, it's, there's there's no... I don't understand why there's such a fear out there about genetically modified stuff. It just seems to be... Uh, I don't know, product of movies and bad advertising? I, I, I honestly don't know why it's so scary. Oh, well, I think we'll be getting to movies in a minute because we both share a pet hate for a particular Ridley Scott endeavour. Yeah. But one of the things, just before we move off of the GMO crops for the moment, that I find is a lot of these environmentalists don't realise that the methods we have been using up to now have kind of pushed us to the brink on a lot of fronts. One of the main issues that we have now is that you have entire crops worldwide that are all an identical strain. Like you have one strain of this plant that is the foundation of all of it, all of that market around the world. And if you get one pathogen, it could just spread very quickly and without various strains, that can be a big difference. That can be a big problem. You know, James told me something. I'm not sure if it's right. I never checked it. But if it's from James, it probably is. He told me that that happened with original bananas. Uh, and uh, he said, basically, they were all the same strain. They all got wiped out, practically. And they taste they tasted different to what we now think of as bananas. They were ever so slightly sweeter. And he said the interesting thing about it is that, you know, banana-flavored stuff, that's the true taste of old bananas before they were wiped out so they were the banana flavorings were based on the esters in the original i guess so yeah if if it's correct it's an interesting tidbit don't quote me on that (laughs) but yeah no it's true like um yeah yeah if we take everything like if everything's very closely related and to the point where it's the same practical thing it's it's very prone to be wiped out and also a major thing these people miss because you know uh, you and I live in a relatively very comfy lives, I'm guessing. You know, we have we can have access to food, clean water and stuff like that. But these kind of things, most quite a lot of people on this planet don't have access to. And we need plants that produce high elite yields. We need plants that produce, that could reproduce on very low nutrients and all this kind of stuff. We need this. And it's so easy whilst you're eating your three meals a day and all the rest of it to say, no, GMOs are bad. And and just to kind of disconnect yourself from uh, these people who really could benefit from it. And it, it's just, there's something very distasteful about it, I think, as well. Something very, well, it's not affecting me. I get to choose, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I can't, I can't quite eloquently get it out of my mouth. But you, you know what I mean, don't you? Yes, I do. I remember when you covered this subject with James on the League of Nerds, you were doing, you were reviewing Seeds of Death, I think. God, I hate Although that. I think it really has to be pronounced Seeds of Death. <laughs> it's it is actually I don't crop I'd say of Satan. <laughs> I'd say anyone listening to this out there, you should definitely give it a watch. Uh, it will wind you up, but then all is forgiven in the last three minutes. I don't want to ruin it for you. But it's a, it's an amazing ending that you will you will just laugh 
so loud and you'd be like, oh, it's forgiven for being a shitty film. It's fine. I, yeah. I cheated and I skipped to the end. I think <gasps> if you look back through my Twitter timeline, you will see an attempt I made to watch this movie and I didn't oh, I remember get past that. 10 minutes. <laughs> I was just it, like, it, nope, done. <laughs> <laughs> it takes it. Yeah, it took a lot of patience to watch it. It's a very weird film. It's all filmed on green screen. Yet for some reason, they put really boring backdrops in there. It's, it's an odd one. Yeah. In that movie, didn't they go over, was it a Canadian case where some farmer claimed that the Roundup Ready Crop had just accidentally blown onto his farm? Oh and... yeah, they gave the impression that he basically was, his field was contaminated, and then because of it, um, Monsanto were like, well no, you owe us. But that was just a flat out lie. It turns out that he actually found these seeds, harvested them, bought a load of Roundup um, herbicide, and then started using them, and then Roundup. I mean, sorry. And then uh, Monsanto, like, uh, what's going on here, buddy? You know, if you're going to use our bloody product, you're going to have to pay us. And he, they took them him to court because, you know, that's what he was doing. And he admitted it that he said, you know, I did collect the seeds and I did make them reproduce, and then I did use them. And this is not in the documentary. It's just a. It's just one of many flat out lies in that film. Yeah, it was basically he had a GMO crop that was contaminated by normal canola. At the end, because I think it was like something like 98% contamination, which yeah. is a bit extreme for accidental. Yeah, just a wee bit. I wonder the if there's was... much of a black market now, because you see, you have if you're looking at, say, a farmer who has paid the licensing fee to grow this crop, he has all these extra seeds for the next year. He's looking at his licensing fee, he's looking... And he thinks, what if I sold these to my neighbour down the road at 20% the cost that Monsanto will charge him? I don't know, I'm not in the farming business, so I don't... And I was I was just wondering if maybe that was what had happened here. No. Because 98% after one season seems pretty high. Yeah, I have no idea. Although, I have to say, I don't know how many seeds a single plant will produce. Yeah, I have no idea. These, these, those people lie all the time in their documentaries. It's really hard keeping tabs on things they say. I mean, the one part, they say that they put in uh, in GM crop um, spermicide that will somehow be, when you, when you ingest it, will go and basically be incorporated into your genome and then you'll be no longer able to produce sperm or if you do if you're a lady you you will produce spermicide and like where the hell did you get that from that's that is just wrong on many many basic levels you know and this came from a an actual medic i mean i checked her out i emailed the university and she is qualified it's 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 worrying like how the hell does that happen she must she must have done microbiology and cell biology and she must know that stuff can't just go flitting in and out of cells there are so many different mechanisms that that would have had to have gone through to first permeate the cell to then get through into the nucleus to actually snip the dna put itself in and then close it up again to re how? But then again, yeah, that's, that's just one. I know, and that's just one cell. It would have to do it to quite a few for you uh, in your gonads for you to, you know, for it to make a difference. It's, it, it's just not possible. But I think really it comes from uh, 
having taught quite a few undergrads and uh, met quite a few people in, in kind of science, some of them you just wouldn't trust to tie their shoelaces up in the morning. It's amazing they get as far as they do. So I think she's a perfect example of one of those people who maybe is very good at me- remembering things, but when it comes to actually using her brain, isn't too capable. Sorry, how pretentious do I sound? Like I, I uh, know I've known quite a few people like that. It's like, it's one thing if you're good at rote memory, but if you pre- pre- there can be people who they can list off the facts and the figures on demand, but if you actually give them a novel problem that requires them to take apart what they've learned and put it together in a way that has not already been presented to them, then they can face issues. Mm. I've met a lot of people like that. <laughs> sorry, again, I'm coming off as a dick. I'm really sorry, people out there. I'm not a horrible person, I swear. Well, moving on from bad movies, there's also a lot of bad papers being produced by the anti-GMO lobby. Uh, I think one you've done a lot of writing on and you've made some videos about was the Seralini rat study. Oh, the long-term toxicity paper. Which has since been retracted, we should point out. Yeah, it was after they actually published a second paper trying to uh, defend some of their choices in the paper. And they missed out uh, the massive hole that I pointed out. Well, I wasn't the only one. uh, That their paper shows that if you drink Roundup herbicide and you're a bloke, you'll live longer. That was not addressed. But they come up with such rubbish reasons for everything, like why they use the strain of rat they used. And it was so transparent that that paper was designed. Excuse me. To be, to be anti-GMO. I mean, anyone who reads it and understands these papers can see straight through it that it doesn't actually show any evidence of the source. They just fish for something. But with a paper like that, well, sorry, they normally fish for something like they did in the Australian pigs feed study. But with a paper like that, they knew that these rats have these tumours and they awfully let them live where I think it was up to they allowed them to live up to about 25% of their body mass was tumour and that's so inhumane that's just an awful thing to do and it was all to basically scare people about GMOs and of course they have no mechanism to how this is going to work and of course they don't look into it any further you know what if if you're in a group and you find out that x causes z then you go after you publish your paper and you find the initial studies, then you mercilessly go after it because you have found something interesting. And if it's something as important as uh, something we're doing wrong with genetically modifying something, something that is on the market and is feeding millions of people, then my God, you try and find it. Even if you don't get the funding, ethically, you'd be forced to do it. But these people don't because that's not, you know, it would unravel their their dishonesty. It, it It's just so transparent that i couldn't believe it when i was sent that paper before it was even published i sent it i was sent it about two days after it became available online and within one read i could just pick out so many faults with it It, it's it's just unbelievable it comes i i honestly think that a lot of people just don't read them i think uh, people just read the abstract and quote that and never actually look at the data itself well for our listeners who weren't familiar this study basically used a breed of rats which is known for spontaneously growing tumours as the basis of showing that GM foods would and Roundup would cause tumours. Which and makes it, no sense. Yeah, uh, and the odd thing about it, it, it looks into not only GM food, but also Roundup at the same time, which 
Yeah. Uh, And it had such a small sample group. It's like, why would you try and do both? You already have a limited number of animals. So why not just going for one? Why are you mucking the water? And the the data makes no sense. It's all over the place. Like, um, like I said before, the, the male rats drinking Roundup lives longer, but also the other ones, they just decide to arbitrarily cut it off at a certain point and not include the data on afterwards. And, he, he, and the other thing that's so transparent is that everything is in a table apart from the actual data that everyone quotes, because if it was in a table, you'd see that it's just absolute garbage. And it's it's probably one of the... Nast- no, it's not the nastiest anti-GMO paper out there. The definitely nastiest is the one I said before, the Australian pig feed study. Have you heard of that one before? I have, and I laughed so hard when I saw what examination methods they used when they were looking at the sheep's stomach. Uh, it was pigs. They um, What this paper was, was basically they had two uh, groups of pigs. One fed a non-GMO diet and one fed a GMO diet. And what it turns out is they couldn't get a non-GMO diet and they accidentally fed them GMO ones. So that already discredits anything in the paper from the back, from the get-go. And the odd thing about it was that it was actually funded by a anti-GMO company. So it, it's basically saying that our product isn't what we're saying. So I don't know why they published it. And then... Yes, I think it was an organic farmers association or something had contributed funds. Yeah, and they, 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 that's where they got their food from and they got the livestock from. And then what what's really funny, what um, you were talking about then, was that they, they just basically looked at these pig stomachs and said inflamed, not inflamed. And you can't, you know, I, again, I, this is out of my field, but I, I'm, I, I know that you can't do that. And it, it and uh, they've had lots of vets and people out say no, you don't do that. You need to take actual samples to be able to test that. But I know it's like no one told them that we live in a world that has microscopes and centrifuges and all manner of different like technical thingies. No, we're just going to walk along with a clipboard. Uh, that kind of looks red to me. Uh, tick for you, Mister Piggy. Uh, that was the level of examination that they went through. Just walking along, tick, no tick, tick, no tick. The interesting thing about this paper is another one where they were just fishing. Uh, So they're looking at everything and they found, oh, inflamed stomachs are what we think is inflamed. One thing that they all, everyone always misses in this paper is that it, it basically says if you have a GM diet, you're less likely to have uh, heart problems. So <laughs> that seems like a lot a lot better outcome than basically slightly inflamed stomachs, which both groups had. But going back to what I think is particularly nasty about that paper is that the majority of pigs in the study in both groups uh, had pneumonia and they allowed them, they must have allowed them, how they couldn't have known, they allowed it to spread and it was the majority of pigs that had pneumonia and it it was just an awful thing for them to do. I mean, and also it discredits the study. I mean, if you don't have a healthy pig then how can you do any of this it's this stuff is is basic to rip apart and i'm just i'm honestly surprised that people take this stuff seriously i know if someone was presenting this as part of academic work they would not receive the passing grade no not at all but the interesting thing about it is the lady who did the study is actually she has academic credentials that are quite intimidating so again it's just odd that some people like this would actually do this. I think I had Aaron Ra on in my first episode and he said something along the lines of if it's in your financial interest to be wrong, 
the chances of you ever getting it right are very low. That's very good point. Yeah, it's amazing how how funded these people are. It's funny when I make my videos and podcasts and stuff, I'll I'll get called shill hundreds, thousands of times. But the real shills are the people who push this anti-GMO stuff. You know, the majority of them are working for a business. They're working for an organic food place. They they are the ones who are shilling, which is yeah, it's bizarre. Well, as you know, I I got my check this month, and I'm recording <laughs> on my golden microphone, which I bought with it. Oh, we're not supposed and to I tell people. My, I have my GMO self-cutting grass out the back, courtesy of Monsanto, <laughs> as part of a bonus this year, which was nice. Yeah, that's, that's nice of them. Yeah, I didn't get self-cutting <laughs> grass. <laughs> it's like it's it is funny because people have been accusing you of that for so long, and you're an Illuminati shit as well. No, you're, you're you're playing the field. I am. I'm whoring myself out to everyone, aren't I? And you couldn't even afford decent internet access up until a week ago. Oh, I know. This is. I were talking about this before. This is one thing no one believes me about. For the last two years, I've been tethering the internet off my phone. I'm a YouTuber who didn't have the internet until about a month. Well, no, until about a week ago, because bastard EE didn't work, and they wouldn't put me through to Kevin Bacon. So, like, uh, I've only recently got the internet, and it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, if I was shilling, I'd have the internet by now. But the other... I have to say, it must be easier for James to record your podcast now that you're not doing it over a pair of plastic cups and a string. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is, yeah. But I take, I take another interesting one. You know, you said I was shilling for the Illuminati and everything. The best ones, I think, are the ones that say I'm uh, a Nazi and the other ones that say I'm Jewish because I want those two to fight and just the winner come out and be like, oh, I guess that I'm a Nazi. Uh, people are crazy on the internet, I tell you. Are you a cult worshipper of the old god Cthulhu? Are you worried that you'll be wearing the appropriate attire when he returns to break the minds and subjugate the bodies of humanity? Perhaps you're an evil genius scientist who just wants to brighten up the lab from all that evil. Well here at the Science of Sarcasm we understand your nerdy needs and so we've partnered with Evolfish.com to make sure they're always satisfied. Our listeners can use the unique coupon code TSOS to claim up to 10% off all of your science and skepticism themed purchases. And 10 cents from every dollar spent goes into covering the server costs of this podcast to keep us on the air. So remember whether you're preparing to conquer the world or be enslaved by an old god. Evolfish.com has everything you need. We've already done bad documentaries and we've talked bad papers. Let's talk about some bad movies. Um, what movie do you have you, in mind? You and I both share a hatred. <laughs> and I don't think hatred is too strong a word. No, I hate this film. Good God, For I hate Prometheus. it. For uh, Prometheus. So, I was so disappointed. I was looking forward to that film for months and months. I was there on the opening day. Like, I got my seat, got my popcorn, and I was like, right, this is going to be brilliant. Ridley Scott, he's from over the road, it's going to be fantastic. And it was awful. And it did it did the cardinal sin in my mind, which is it, not showing what DNA really looks like. I, I know this is a pet hate, but I bloody hate it. I don't understand why people do this. Uh, like, they go sometimes into such effort to make proteins look like proteins and make other things look like what they're going to. But then it zooms into the DNA, and we have this kind of cartoon-esque DNA structure. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why people do that. It just really irritates me. I mean, it's okay if you want to do a cartoon diagram. That's fine. I, they're in my videos. But this 
yeah, sorry, it just it's one of these pet hates of mine, and Prometheus did it, and it did some other things that I bloody hate. But yeah, that was the first thing I saw, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh no. Ugh. It's just like that big empty molecule where it's just a couple of balls, a couple of sticks joining them, and then lots and lots and lots of empty space all the way down. Mm. And then it says, of course, that that's human DNA because it's a perfect match, which I'm thinking, well, it's not because the guy's six foot, well, seven foot something, bright white. I think it's closer to ten because, I mean, he really towers over them. Yeah, he's pretty big, but, oh, God, that movie was terrible. It just didn't make any sense, and it, it it was an awful film, and it had so much potential, and it was so pretty. And yet, it just lacked any decent story. Yeah, I think the visuals and the act- the music and the effects, both audio and visual, and the actual artwork that went into the sets was all so good. Superb. Amazing. Like, even the little details. Like one of my... The thing that I loved, I like, when I saw I thought that was amazing, was... Uh, what did they call the robot again? Was it Adam? I don't actually remember... Anyway, him, um, he had the drop of black goo, which is magical black goo, on his finger. And I noticed that his fingerprints were in the shape of the Whalen Corporation logo. And I thought that was the, like a nice touch. I thought that was just superb. But then the story, my God, it was... I don't know, I don't know how anyone could think that could fly. Okay, we're in this alien archaeological site. Let's all take off our helmets. What could yeah. go wrong? Oh, I have a worm coming out of my eyeball. That could go wrong. And I've just yeah, had well, sex with my partner, but I'm not going to tell her I just had an alien worm come out of my eyeball after exposing myself to an alien atmosphere. No, let's oh, go back in, and I'll let her <laughs> take her helmet off again. Uh, yeah, they do. And there's no... The characters are rubbish as well. They do stuff that no one would do in, in real life. Like, the the perfect example is... The Scottish uh, ginger guy who was in 24-Hour Party People and the American scientist were stuck in the ship. And they go from the biggest cowards ever to basically wanting to go after a penis vagina thing. And that's just like, wait, what? Why would you do that? Ah. Also, do you know the guy who got killed there? You know, the one who got the snake thing in his mouth? You know, he's from Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and everything. I didn't know that. He has been in so many things. I know, and I've only just recognised him. He's one of these actors who's just floated by, and I've never really noticed before. There is one other thing I will never forgive Prometheus for. It was involving those two. When When they somehow got lost, even though the grumpy geologist was the guy who had the mapping system on his arm, they somehow got lost, they're running around, they find a big old stack of corpses and they say oh look the chests have exploded from the inside and I was like yes <laughs> I've gone through 70 minutes of boring nonsensical crap I'm finally going to get a xenomorph and then there isn't any no and fuck you Ridley Scott uh, you dis- fuck you <laughs> you disappoint me Ridley Scott oh god well, heard- technically I know people are going to say oh in the after credit scene no Fuck you. No, it's all about the movie that was out there, there, and then. I don't care about any literature that comes with it. It's all about what's on screen. Bugger that. And it was just an awful movie. I can't believe how it got made. Ugh. Sorry, I, 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 it's it's been... It's coming up to two years, you know, and I still haven't got over it. That's bad, I, I, it? I do still get angry talking about it. Yeah. Like, I, lo- like the- I loved your uh, video about it with the chalkboard. <laughs> and your tree of... Uh, what was it? The... the uh, oh, what, do they, what do they call it? The pyramid. The food, ch- the food chain. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. The carbon chain. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, the carbon dating as well. Terrible, terrible movie. How do you know they've got carbon on their planet? How do you know that it's you know their atmosphere is the same to make that carbon? How do you know? Oh, just so many. Yeah, things. no, they took. They were doing radioisotope readings without a baseline. What's wrong with you? You need a baseline. But the thing is, they didn't even need it. They could have taken the Avatar approach to things, like, oh, we've I've got the uh, the age analyzer. Do, 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 do. Oh, he's two thousand years old. Got it. Totally, that makes sense. <laughs> like, I know that's the best way to do it. In like, in Back to the Future, they don't say how a flux capacitor works or what physical principles is going on. So in Prometheus, you shouldn't say, "I'm going to test. I'm going to take a carbon." reading or do a test of the carbon is no no just say i'm going to take a sample and see if i can get an age on it and then doo -doo, boom there it is yeah. and that's fine because we don't expect to know all of these future technologies if we knew them they wouldn't be future technologies they'd be now technologies yeah basically wrigley scott you made a bad movie wrigley you made a bad movie <laughs> it was almost made up for by how charlie's theron died oh god left her left, <laughs> oh, her pointless character who did nothing, and uh, I, I, yeah, sorry, I still can't get. I mean, I tell you what, going to that movie, if you would have told me an hour before that I would be laughing at the end bitterly, then I, I wouldn't have believed you. But yeah, I was. The whole thing just made no sense. Why was the big giant albino dude on his way to destroy Earth at the end? Oh well, for that... what reason? He just didn't like the look of them? No, this is, what, this is what really irritated me as well. Like, it was so slow, and then suddenly you have all this dialogue by the ship's captain that just comes out of nowhere that says, oh, this was a weapons facility, and they knew what they were doing, so they wanted it in the middle of nowhere, and they came to destroy Earth. I was like, whoa, 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 you've just jumped about five chapters there. Where have you got this all from? Mm -hmm. uh, because you don't know that. It was an exposition bomb just dropped in there. Yeah, but like, a, a complete one. Like, there was nothing before then. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you don't know what he's doing. For all he could be doing, it's like, oh, I'm going home. Oh, this bastard just rammed into me. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that really annoyed me, before I saw it, I had watched some reviews. I'm not going to name names, but they took... I don't know what movie they watched, but they came out with this really artsy-fartsy review. And, oh, it's exploring man's yearning to reach out and find our origins. And after seeing it, I was like, no, it really fucking isn't. This is just like, it's a standard hero's tale that has been knocked out. It's the same story that we've been telling since like the Epic of Gilgamesh, where you have to travel to a distant land to defeat a monster that's threatening your home. Hmm. And the main thing that I found wrong with it was um, this. Um, I'm, going, I'm going to list some plot points and I want you to keep them in mind and then I'll have a question at the end. Okay. Okay, so there's a strange archaeological discovery which sends a group of scientists at the behest of the head of the Whalen Corporation to a very distant location from which there is no chance of escape or possibility of help arriving. Uh, they go there expecting to find some benign creators who influenced human life or civilization on Earth. When they get there, they instead discover that they are not as benign as they thought and they awaken something which threatens to wipe out the entire human race, and then the female protagonist must see that this is destroyed before it reaches home and wipes out the entire human race, and she is left alone at the end to 
try and figure out how the hell she's going to get out of here. Spoilers. Now, did the movie I just described, was that Prometheus or Alien vs. Predator? The correct answer is both. Hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a standard, knocked-out plotline. I was really lazy, and then they tried to be so clever and philosophical with it, and it made no sense. I know. I I I can't, I can't say any more other than I just hated this film. It's it's on there. Of, of it, it's the the reason I think that there's such hatred towards this film, like I do, is because there was such potential. Because it it did look amazing, it did have everything going for it, but the story was just awful, and it was so badly edited as well. I mean, uh, um, I remember seeing the trailer, and in the trailer, um, the trailer was the movie. Yeah, but do you know um, what do they call the main character? Um, Schwaz, no, uh, the main character, the female protagonist. Sure, sure. There we go. Uh, She runs over the ginger Scottish guy who's a zombie. But in the movie, she's having a uh, abortion thing. So they've obviously completely timed that all differently and re- redid it all. It, it's it just it's a mess. Well, I mean, some people might think it's good, but else, that's what they choose to believe. Ugh. Mind you, I, I didn't talk. I am uh, I'm really bad for not wanting to admit that terrible movies are terrible. And I remember watching your uh, live stream about the new Star Trek film. And I was like, I don't want to listen to it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. But I knew. I knew deep down. I knew deep down it was terrible. I just didn't want to admit it. And I was holding off for about a week or so. And then I just had to come to the horrible reality that the new Star Trek film didn't make any sense. It was very pretty, but it was so dumb. No, oh, I know. And the Khan bit. Khan! No, One thing, no. I'm looking at these. this new Enterprise ship. There is so much empty space on this ship. I like, that. in the engine room is 90% empty space. Oh, you know, that's actually a real place. It's a, it's a laser... It's a brewery. Is it? Oh, so. no, you mean, like, the uh, with the tankers and stuff? Yeah, oh, the no, one I mean... that they beamed it, they beamed Scotty into a tube oh, in yeah. the first one. No, it is, yeah, it's a brewery place. But I was wondering about the warp core is actually a, uh, it's a laser fusion place. It's real. Uh, yeah, you're Did right, they it's... like the fact that he was kicking it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean on the outside. But yeah, you're right, there's so much wasted space. Well, that's one thing I thought about the movie. Uh, you know, they have that massive kind of like drop in the middle of it. I was thinking, oh, if there's massive decompression, then the old decks are pretty much buggered. Is that really nerdy of me to think that? No. <laughs> but they, they thought about this in the like the original series and stuff. That it was functional. I, I Whereas JJ think... Abrams goes for pretty. Um... Yeah, but my god, it is pretty. He has made Star Trek more acceptable, and I love him for that. Let's hope he can do the same with Star Wars, because god knows that needs a bit of help. I just think in... Uh, we'll get back to GMOs in a minute, let's swear. <laughs> it's just... These are some shared hates, and we appreciate getting the chance to vent them. Um, with Khan, the whole storyline with Khan made no sense. It would be, oh, these. They took me out of stasis to get me to design these weapons, even though I'm a warlord from 300 years ago, from before warp drive even was a thing. And it's like, that would be like thawing out Napoleon to design a Tomahawk missile. Yeah, that I, th- that I thought was a bit daft. But also the lead up to it. They were like, oh, uh, Starfleet decided to uh, aggressively search out new territory because of uh, the Romulans. And I was like, well, why would they do that? Surely a better storyline would be 
the Vulcans are trying to find a new home. Uh, and then it, it kind of, that kind of crappy storyline, yeah, it followed on to basically Khan. Well, I mean, yeah, he's a super genius, but my God, it'll take more than a couple of years to get hold of Warp Drive and to help out. And instead, they have an analogy between him breaking bones and spock and it's all just a bit silly and like even like the basic questions like oh we have these super secret missiles that you know are undetectable uh we want you to blow up this bloke oh, okay i'll just take one no 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 have 72 <laughs> oh okay why no one asked that well scotty did and he got uh bloody fired i had left. like 72 missiles for one guy i mean these are things they basically are matter anti-matter colliders these photon torpedoes. They collide matter and antimatter, and then the resulting is those get converted entirely, all the mass gets inverted entirely into photons, which is a very big explosion. That's pretty substantial. You don't need 72 for one dude. Especially don't need it on a Klingon bloody planet. They'll know that from miles away. <laughs> also, the trans what the what is it called? This new teleporter beaming. technology makes no sense. It's actually not new. Uh, you can transport from one. JJ Abrams has no idea how big space is. No, 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 no. It's it. it, it I, I have to cut some slack here. This is from the old Star Trek, like the original cast. They do actually have transport beaming. So, uh, but it was from kind of, one completely different star system to another, tens of light years away. Yep. And they even were, uh, this is so nerdy, they were even developing it in, do you know, Enterprise? the Which I think is the best season, by the way. Uh, they were even developing transport beaming there, where they could beam from, like, different star systems. So it's it's not actually that bad of him to do, but it kind of does gut Starfleet, because it's like, oh, we can just beam anywhere. What's the point? Mind you, they can warp within a couple of minutes now, which is new. I know, like Kronos, the Klingon homeworld is five minutes from Earth, which you'd think is a bit of a security issue. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You could even mobilise your fleet by the time they turned up. And again, with the transwarp beaming, if you're looking for a way to attack the Klingons and to fight a war, why not use that? If you can transport stuff directly onto their homeworld surface, why not just blanket bomb them? I don't know. I don't. And I don't think there Admiral. There it is. You're done. I don't think Admiral Robocop was really thinking too properly when he when he made this thing. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. But it was pretty, and it was a cool space adventure, I guess. But I had to admit, story didn't make any sense. It was written basically for non-Star Trek fans, I think. There was one more complaint. I was going. To, I've got so many, but I can't even remember what it was. Oh, the can moment was so oh, funny. No. I love Zachary Kendo, but his. Was just so bad. It, it, it was comical. I did laugh in the cinema. I didn't want to, but I did a very Nelson laugher <laughs> like that because it was, it was unnecessary. That whole thing was forced. Whereas in the first one, where it was all about mums and dads dying, and later on, that that was kind of emotional. You could kind of see where they were coming from and all this kind of jazz. But this one is, it seems so forced. It was just a bit silly. Oh, I remember my complaint now. Go Cold on. fusion device. Oh, it does not mean what you think it means, JJ. 
I, I, I don't know. It's another one I could... I, I think I'm seeing this through rose-tinted glasses. It's another one I could, could forgive. It might just be a nickname. I, I don't know. Maybe they could have said it. it was, yeah, it was a bit silly. You're right. It was a bit silly, but... Yeah. It fuses things and makes them cold. <laughs> okay, it was a bit silly, yeah. No, what? it's slightly less hot than the sun. <laughs> That's what cold fusion means. Why would they hide a starship underwater? I don't know. <laughs> it can beam. Uh, mind you, it did look cool. They look cool. Anyway, sorry. Should we talk back about GMOs and stuff? I feel we've we gone off on. We probably should get sorry, back to it. Sorry, listeners. Point. It's just we obviously um, hate the same movies so much. Let's see. Well, maybe if we can just talk a bit about the term synthetic biology, where it's come from, why you hate Shuckman. No, Shuckman. <laughs> yeah. And maybe just I don't know what is that new method of gene splice? Is it CRISPR? Is it something you're familiar with? Uh, no, it's um, viral stuff. So that is another thing most people don't get. Uh, what's is that? the level of specificity. Oh, yeah, people don't understand that. Uh, something as simple as uh, what will kill one organism won't kill other ones. It's basic stuff. And well, I'm t- I was talking it. about um, academic specificity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about genome modification. I thought, oh, this will definitely be up my street. And I was like, no, dude, viruses. No, sorry. Yeah, my is very specialised. Sorry, I'm not that kind of you know, biochemist. Sorry. Well, no, the stuff that I did was physical DNA. But then even then, it's not even secondary structure. It was more of the chemistry behind it and seen it as more of a material. But yeah, that that's one thing that often... Uh, we talked about this the other day uh, on the podcast about um, movies... They always have Doctor Scientist who knows everything. <laughs> and it was like brains from the Thunderbirds. True. Oh yeah, like brains. Yeah, it's not true. You you talk to it, it's funny because you talk to anyone of us about our specialist thing, and we can go, we can talk for Queen and Country. You talk about something that's ever so slightly different that you think we'll know. And we're just like you, we wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> I mean, like this thing that you're just talking about here, CRISPR, I've never heard of that before. And looking at it now, it's um, I've got a, a diagram of phage and some double-stranded DNA, and it's nothing that I've really ever seen before. So that's, yeah, very different to what I've done in the past. Hey, heathens. The Science of Sarcasm is now on Patreon.com. If you like what the show does and want to show your support, you can now make small per-episode donations to help cover the costs of providing and hosting content. You can check out the list of goals and perks at Patreon.com slash Science of Sarcasm. You can also make one-time donations via PayPal using the address admin at scienceofsarcasm.com. If money's tight, there are always other ways to support the show. You can share this episode on social media, like our Facebook page, and please remember to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. Now, pseudoscientists and charlatans find it a lot easier to fund their goals because they're not constrained by actually having to base what they say on reality, while the rest of us are stuck trying to pay our Amazon hosting costs with change that we find on the back of the couch. So please, any little will help, and as I said, check out the Patreon.com page. Thank you for your time, and now we'll get back to the show. I think I've seen from your videos that another one of your pet peeves is this sudden promotion of the term synthetic biology as if this is just some new singular thing which is scientists have suddenly dropped on everyone. Yeah. And that's it, really not the case, is it? Well, no, it's not. It's um, synthetic biology. It is fairly new. It's a new term, but it's also an umbrella term that... Uh, 
covers a lot of already well-established and used for years techniques. Uh, it's But I don't really mind the term synthetic biology and it being new. What I mind is people marketing it as something new. So you all probably know if you know me, I know that I dislike Schuchman, <laughs> who is the BBC science editor, uh, who a couple of years ago took exception to synthetic biology and was trying to make it very different to regular old genetic engineering and trying to promote it to the, to the people saying that basically it's dangerous and something to be worried about. And he's not the only one. Um, Hank Green, who is a fabulous guy, by the way, I do really like him, uh, was trying to do the same thing. And in fact, they were working on the same study that was made by friends of the earth, which is absolute garbage. If you ever read it, it's ridiculous. It's saying that, genetic uh, engineers are responsible for crop burnings and basically uh, when they're when they're not genetically modifying things they're punching puppies in the face uh well it doesn't say that but it goes on to say that um it manipulates uh research it goes on about viruses and how this group were replicating and making viruses but it made it sound really scary and it never talked about what they were actually doing which is a an increased uh, sorry a, a faster way of making vaccinations for new diseases that literally just appear overnight um and what this yeah so this paper was basically trying to scare people but it was trying to do it in a very specific way to try and convince people that synthetic biology is something new and if you can convince people uh, that something's new and that thing also is an umbrella term that encapsulates encapsulates sorry no i still got that wrong so many different things then you can get this thing really slowed down i mean these people aren't just you know being douches they're slowing down the progression of mankind through their lack of understanding and fear-mongering and that's what Schuckman and the rest of them were doing it's ridiculous i mean yeah synthetic biology is nothing new sorry i've turned that into a bit of a rant but it does it does irritate me because anyone in the field knows that it's nothing new it's just it's just a buzzword from the way some people describe it you'd think they're afraid that suddenly everything is going to start swapping genes with everything else and I, I was very tempted to make you watch a film called Extinction, the GMO Chronicles, oh which is God. basically a zombie movie where horizontal gene transference is occurring at all levels wow, of the that's... biosphere and everyone is swapping genes with everyone else and somehow not dying immediately but instead becoming monsters. <laughs> and it's all due to those silly scientists who didn't tested and they put out a GMO crop which then fertilized cross-pollinated with everything and now everything's trying to eat you and eat something else and you have to run and make loud <laughs> noises and not wear appropriate clothing for a zombie apocalypse because no one ever does. No, no, of course not. No, I, I mean, I, I know if it was a zombie apocalypse right now, I'd get my bikini out and just start running around and <laughs> can you edit that bit out? Sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you. I haven't seen that film. I'll have to give it a watch. It's, it's a proper film, isn't it? It's like a. It's not like a documentary or anything. It's a proper made film. Like yeah, it's, it's a it's a zombie movie. That's out. I just. I I should probably if I ever have you on here again, I'm going to make you watch it. <laughs> oh, we could we could do a live watch through. I've 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 got actually uh, James coming over in a couple of weeks, and we've got a few movies to watch. One of them I really want to get is called GMO OMG. Uh, <laughs> and I'm I surprised re- no one's actually done that already. 
Yeah, it's it's clever. Yeah, so I am actually I'm looking into possibly recording the two of us like doing reactions to it and then discussing it afterwards. Kind of like Red Letter Media and Half in the Bag. So I might try that if I've got enough space. But some of these movies, yeah, because yeah, yeah we're very vocal when we've seen stuff in the past. I mean, so. it's it's no Seeds of Death. <laughs> we never know. It could be. <laughs> oh, Seeds of Death, class man. You've got to see it. Getting back to Shockman. Shockman. I remember in that report, he ha- was basically those. It was one of those hack spaces that they were covering, and the way he presented it, you would have sworn that this was some. They were all these happy late teens and the tw- early twenty nerds who were busy making some kind of Frankenstein that was, yo, it was completely unnatural, and these were synthetic genes that hadn't come from any living thing and it's gonna get you it was unbelievable yeah um at the time i was working in manchester in a lab with people who actually do this and it was the talk of the entire building uh this bbc uh, this uh thing that he produced and how incorrect it was and how it made their hard work i mean these people have dedicated large portions of their life to this kind of research and they were so insulted that it was being brought down to the level of hobby clubs on the back streets of Manchester, less than uh, 10 minutes away. And he he was ridiculous. I mean, he had these kids make, they were making PCR machines, wooden PCR machines, to show you what level they were working at. Um, I mean, it's a cool little hobby club. Yeah, it's really interesting. But in no way are they doing it on the scale or the kind of, uh, they can't do the kind of precision, precision that the guys in the lab were doing. And I don't even understand why he went there. It was obviously just like a, basically the only reason I can see is it was part of like a fear campaign, not campaign, that's wrong, fear piece, uh, making it seem like these people were uncontrolled and watched and basically anyone can pick it up and do it. And it's the same as what's happening in research labs all over the world. And that's just simply not true. These kids, I think, were... What were they doing? I think they were getting them to express GFP or something like that. And you know what? They probably, most of them, didn't work. And even if they did, so what? You get some bloody bacteria that glows under a black light. Well done. One thing I think people misunderstand when they hear synthetic biology is they think that you're creating sequences that are found nowhere else in nature. It's synthetic. It's artificial. Oh, yeah, that's when a common... In most of the case, you're just doing it this way because it's more efficient than having to grow a crap load of bacteria and harvest the damn stuff and try to tweeze it out. You can't really snip it in the right place and we can't just sort out which genes are going where. And it's once you know a sequence of nucleotides that go into a gene... It's much easier to just produce that gene from those nucleotides than it is to extract it from a living organism. Does well, that yeah. be right? Well, it, yeah, yes and no. It's it's wishy-washy again. The term synthetic biology it doesn't just mean printing out the code that you want. You can. It also means having certain sequences uh, be called like biobricks, and basically you can plug them together in different orders, and it will produce certain things under certain conditions. So it, it's very wibbly wobbly that way because you sometimes you can you well most of the time you use older techniques but it, it's again yeah um, it's there's also this misconception when people say synthetic biology that they mean that it's not found in nature and like ninety nine percent of the time uh, that's not true at least it's not it's not 
found or based on nature when that's not true you know life has had a lot of time to perfect these proteins and these sequences and these operons and blah 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 and they've got it pretty good i mean if we can tweak them we can make them do amazing things i mean i'm not saying that people aren't writing new stretches of code to produce things but uh, because they are but excuse me um but most of it is just using stuff that's already there it's not new life forms it's just taking stuff that's already there how about we do the quiz oh god i've been worried about this sure bring it i'm ready i'm ready to fail so i've got to do better than sally who had five and james who had nine so that's gonna be a hard one to do god here goes come on bring it then okay now these are all gmo themed okay let's see what was the first commercially available gm food was it this flavor saver tomato correct yes that's one (laughs) golden rice gets its color from which nutrient that it has been engineered to produce oh my god i'm not gonna get nine uh which nutrient uh how vague can i be can i say uh, vitamin (laughs) give me a letter uh c or was a ah bollocks the ability to produce spider silk has been transferred into which common farmyard mammal it's a goat correct pest resistant corn has toxin producing traits transferred from which species of bacteria uh it's the one i couldn't pronounce bacillus uh, it's the bt one right yes it says Bracillus the Blibibus. Can I have that point? <laughs> I d- it was Bacillus thuringiensis. I almost was there. I think I'll be generous and give you that one. Oh, thank you. Okay, so, that is three out of four so far. So-called glow-in-the-dark rats, which actually fluoresce under UV, get the trait from genes which have been re-transferred from which organism? It's a jellyfish. They express GFP. Yes. Do you want a bonus point and name the species? <laughs> no, sorry, I don't know. It's Aquaria Victoria. So it's a bit of a rhymer. Hmm. Maybe that's not... Aquaria Victoria. Yes, that's what it is. Sounds like a Harry Potter spell. If you get another one wrong, you can't beat James, but you can still beat Sally. Let's... And now, which common fruit is currently being re-engineered to act as an edible hepatitis B vaccine? Oh my god. I don't know. I've, I've not even heard this. Uh, I'm going to get... I'll, I'll pick one. Pear. The correct answer is bananas. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Basically, they're being engineered to express a protein which is found in the capsid of the hepatitis B virus. And so the protein is introduced simply by itself without a working virus attached to it, so the human immune system can familiarize itself with it. And then if someone gets infected with hepatitis B, it already has this protein filed away in the immune system's record, record, so to speak. uh... So once... The fact, once the virus turns up, it's like, hey, I recognize that protein. You're a virus. 
get the fuck out of here. That's really interesting. Cool. Okay, so you're at four out of six. You can't beat James, but you can't still beat Sally's score. Researchers in the University of Alberta are currently developing genetically modified cows to produce substantially less of which digestive byproduct? It's methane. I would have accepted farts, but methane is co- methane is correct. <laughs> they're also doing it with pigs, aren't they? Enviro pigs, they're called. Yes, I think. Let's see. I uh, sorry, I was just checking that that wasn't a, f- a question ahead, but yeah, I think the Enviro pigs—they're being re-engineered to produce the amount of fo- to reduce the amount of phosphates, which is being put into the environment through their manure because it gets into the water table and causes algal bloom, and oh. deoxygenates. The rivers and lakes nearby. Oh, I got that wrong then. Hmm. In 2003, the Pentagon gave $500,000 to Colorado State researchers to develop pine trees which could do what? Oh, I have heard of this. Um, pine trees that could. Uh, Just think of who funded it. The Pentagon. Is it is it pine trees that make pine cones that are pentagon shaped? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not even trying. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not. There's heard of this. pine trees. Pine trees which could detect biological or chemical attacks. Oh yeah, that makes much more sense than pentagon shaped pine cones. <laughs> Can we edit that bit out? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, next question. In 2011, a young leukemia patient named Emily Whitehead went into full remission after having her T-cells modified using an altered form of which pathogen? Uh, I'm I'm guessing it's a virus. Uh, I think, is it the HIV one? That is correct. Yes, I was talking about this at work the other week. Uh, uh, That's that's pretty good that I was doing that. (laughs) Yep. And this is your last question. What was the first genetically modified animal to be sold as a pet? I think it was a zebrafish. Do you remember what its name was when it was being sold? How it was branded? It it was... What did it it do? It was a fluorescent fish. It It was like a rainbow fish. They had all different colors of them. Um, do I have to get the actual patent name? Uh, am I right? Is it, it well? Tell me, tell me if that's correct. Is it? The, well, is it? Is it, it is. Fish, it is. But I want it to see if you can get your extra bonus point here. Okay, hang on. Um, just think of what it did. I I can see a picture of them. I I, I can I can see the tank where there was loads of colours and it. Is it fluorescing fish? Is that what it was called? It was called a glowfish. Oh, glowfish! Of course it was. Urgh. So your final score is 7 out of 10. That's kind of alright, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's Not definitely bad. a passing grade. Uh, to be fair, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> Not as good as James, but never mind. 
Now, I'm afraid that's all we have time for for this episode. Miles would have been here to say goodbye, but unfortunately, soon after we recorded that last piece, we developed some technical issues. If you are interested in what Miles had to say and want to follow up on the other work he's done, please check out milespower.co.uk. You can find the link in the show notes along with all of his social media links. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to rate it, share it, or leave a review. Until next time, this is the Science of Sarcasm.